Do you know more about the Real Housewives than you do about your own family? Do you have strong opinions about Cody Brown's move to Flagstaff? I know I do. If that also sounds like you, then this is the podcast for all your reality TV pleasures. Recaps of episodes, reality TV gossip, and whatever I may feel like sprinkling in between. So come along with me, your host Catherine, on my adventures in reality TV. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hope everybody had a lovely week. Hope everybody has been treated well by February thus far. Um, I apologize about last week. I am burnt the hell out on Sister Wives. I'm sorry, everybody. Right now, I need a break from Sister Wives. I don't know what it is. It's just, I think once the season ended and those very long uh, tell-alls ended, I needed, I don't know, just a moment to watch something else. As I've expressed on the podcast quite a bit, I have been really enjoying 90 Day Fiancé, which is why I want to talk about uh, 90 Day Fiancé the other way today. Uh, season four premiered last Sunday, and originally I was like, eh, I'm not going to talk about this. But then I watched the episode... And then I watched some more of Love is Love in Paradise, the Caribbean, which was the spinoff, another spinoff of 90 Day Fiancé. I think there's 19 <laughs> spinoffs of uh, 90 Day Fiancé, which is very intimidating to somebody who hasn't watched it at all. Um, but I watched the episode. I found it really, really interesting and funny. Uh, these people are crazy. Um... But then, also, I watched Love in Paradise because one of the couples, uh, Danielle and Johan, were on the second season of Love in Paradise and are now on this season of The Other Way. And so I wanted to see more of their backstory, and I found that season to be very interesting. Uh, Danielle is a monster. (laughs) We'll get into that some more. Uh, But yeah, so I decided I'm going to change up what I planned on doing. I know I said I was going to do the honeymoon special for Robin and Cody. I watched it. Um, There were some good parts to it. I think it's definitely interesting to look back at how the wives interacted with each other back then and the way that they truly did seem like they were the head of the household. And Cody actually really does defer to them a lot in the early seasons and kind of makes it out to be like the bumbling husband that I'm just here to work my wife's I just do what my wife's told me and we know now that's clearly not (laughs) what Cody believes anymore but um you know and during the the honeymoon segment you know there's some the wives go on a camping trip and kind of bemoan that Cody and Robin are gone for 11 days because clearly he has a lot of kids and a lot of wives at home that he should not be away from for that long. And I mean, like we've seen it in recent seasons, he sure as hell can't be that long, that away that long from Robin's tender age children. Um, But yeah, like it just, to me, I was watching it and I was taking notes. I'm like, I don't think I have anything entertaining or anything that great to say about it and I feel bad that maybe I've disappointed some people who were listening and were expecting that episode um but I just changed my mind and I kind of 
I don't want to get too into, you know, about me, but I've kind of realized as I'm making this podcast, um, I don't want to make myself do things and recap things that I don't like or that I'm not feeling because this is a hobby for me. Um, it's something that I enjoy doing and I don't want to burn myself out to the point where I don't enjoy doing this, you know, um, sure, maybe in a million fantasies from now, I could get a Patreon, I could, you know, do something like that. But that is not the case for me. Uh, At this point, I'm doing this podcast because I enjoy it. And I like talking about TV that I'm watching. um, And like the hijinks and ridiculousness of reality TV. And so I, you know, don't want to pigeonhole myself into just being a sister wives podcast. I don't want to pigeonhole myself into being just a 90 day fiance podcast. I just want to be a reality TV podcast that I enjoy covering whatever it is that I'm liking. And maybe that is a whole series season of a show. Like I'm hoping I'm going to cover the entire season of, um, seeking brother husbands. And then, you know, maybe I'll cover most of this season of the other way. I don't know. Um, all of that, <laughs> rambling to say that um, I apologize if maybe I have disappointed you and with what I've decided to put out in, you know, maybe not following the strict kind of structure that maybe other podcasts, more successful podcasts do. But, you know, I just, I want to keep it cool. I want to keep it fun. And I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. So... (laughs) Anyways, I don't I don't know if people really care. It may just be a lot of, you know, insecurity on my part and just putting that kind of feelings onto other people. But, you know, here we are. I want to talk about 90 Day Fiance. I'm not saying I'll never talk about Sister Wives again. I mean, I'm obsessed with that show. I've watched it every season since it came out in 2010. So I, it's not going anywhere. But in terms of covering it right now, the, pla- the, the world is full of so much good reality TV right now, and I gotta, I have to give my thoughts. Also, not to mention in the world of reality TV, Housewives, um, some not-so-shocking news coming out this week. Uh, Juan Dixon ended up cheating on Robin, again, Robin from Real Housewives of Potomac. Um, I don't know if she did it on her podcast or something, Ended up confirming that, yes, Juan had cheated on her before season seven started filming. So the storyline that we are seeing of Karen trying to out Robin and her, you know, sham of a wedding, I guess, that Karen thinks it is. She is, you know, alleging that Juan has been seen with a blonde haired woman that looks like Karen. Mind you, Karen had to put that in there, too, uh, walking around Georgetown near D.C. And so Robin immediately wanted to call this out, called Robin during the, or called Juan during the episode. Juan freaks the fuck out. Um, And then Robin turns it into the whole old blue eyes thing. So back in season one, when Sharice was on as a regular cast member, you know, she had brought up that Karen has another boyfriend that she had been seen with and his name was Blue Eyes. Well, Robin decides in current season, season seven, to now bring up a picture of Blue Eyes and shares it all around to the other women saying, oh, who do you think this is? Who is that? All the women, of course, are playing along saying, Oh, that's that's Karen. That's Karen definitely with blue eyes. 
Oh, but lo and behold, we find out old Juan Dixon is still up to his dirty, dirty ways and has cheated on Robin again. But they got remarried, so clearly Robin, I don't think, gives a fuck that Juan just embarrasses the fuck out of her on TV constantly. Um, I mean, we all saw that uh, soundbite that... (laughs) That hot mic moment from Juan a few seasons back where he said he couldn't do this anymore and he was really only sticking with Robin because of the boys. But, eh, okay. Teach their own. Teach their own. I used to be a big fan of Robin. I used to think she was really cool and she was a good chill housewife. But now, unfortunately, this season she's been giving really, like, flop, nothing behavior. She's just kind of been a bully and just not, I don't know. And clearly, like... I mean, I guess I can't say, like, oh, if your husband cheats on you, that's a bad reflection of you. I don't mean that, because it's not a woman's fault if her husband cheats on her. Cheats on her. Um, but I'm also just kind of like, Robin, you realize, like, all of this is out in the, the world. Like, everybody is seeing this. You know you look dumb, right? <laughs> and then, not to mention... We add in the whole Chris Bassett of it all. So remember, for this whole season of Real Housewives of Potomac, Ashley and some friend of hers have been trying to say that Chris Bassett made moves on them. Um, Giselle was trying to make out something that, like, Chris Bassett made her feel uncomfortable in her dressing room at last season's reunion, um, which there really isn't any proof of. And I'm not trying to say that these women are lying or they're trying that they shouldn't be believed at all. But there really isn't, I don't think any of this happened. There is no proof of it. Um, Even the other women have said like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this doesn't make sense. Robin went against Giselle and said that she doesn't agree with what she said about Chris. However, though, we knew that this was kind of a formulated plot line. (laughs) Let's just say. And Candace broke the fourth wall in like the third episode and said... I don't know what the fuck your plot line is or what the storyline is, but I'm done. And yet here Robin is holding back this entire storyline about, oh, she's actually going to get, you know, Juan was cheating on her. Um, (laughs) This wedding is probably a sham. I mean, they're going and getting married after her brother-in-law's wedding. So are they just, like, going to leave up the decorations and be like, hey, real quick, Justice of the Pete, could, could someone, like, uh, say a quick vow for us? Because, like, Robin is making it out to be like, oh, no, we just want it to be us. It's going to be very small, very intimate, and I feel like that's way more special. And I'm like, well, Robin and, well, Juan felt the need to propose to you again in front of, like, a huge-ass room of people and turn it into an engagement party, but now... It's really, really special that it's only the four of you at the tail end of your brother-in-law getting married. How pissed would you be if you were getting married and then your sister-in-law, and I don't know the relate. I don't, I assume this is maybe Juan's brother? I don't know. But someone's brother-in-law is getting married and then your sister-in-law comes up and says, hey, would you mind if maybe we made this about us two and... You know, we kind of just tied the knot real quick also this weekend. I'd be like, excuse me? Book your own fucking venue. But it's Robin and Juan, y'all. That's where we're at. Sorry if you can hear my cat uh, bouncing at the door. 
he hears me talking in the spare bedroom and I don't let him in the spare bedroom while I'm recording because he's a terrorist. So he's getting angry and jumping at the door. So if you hear some kind of like scrapings or meows, it's just my cat Salem. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, yeah, so I wanted to touch base a bit on that uh, Real Housewives of Potomac stuff because... Yeah, that was an interesting little gem of news. And yeah, to top it all off, like Robin says, she came out with this thing about how Juan had cheated on her. And if we want to find out more, you can subscribe to her Patreon. It's like, what? I'm watching you on Bravo already. I'm sorry, but Ashley showed her disgusting ass husband, Michael Darby, being a weirdo on camera and him cheating on her. Giselle... Brought back on Miss Pastor Holy Whore Bryant, who was playing with her and being a trifling ass. Like, why does Robin get the pass? I'm sorry. <laughs> give me my good cho- give me my good drama, Robin. And not to mention, we don't even get to see your whack ass wedding. Okay, <sighs> that's enough. Anyways, let's get into 90 Day Fiance the other way. So this is season four, episode one. Um. Like I said, I watched season two of Love in Paradise, which has Danielle and Johan in that season who are now in this season. Um, And I really enjoyed that season. There were some other good couples from that season. Maybe I'll talk about that at some time. Anyways, um, (laughs) just based on the preview for this season, this is going to be a clusterfuck. These couples are mm, muy, muy magnifique of dumb and bad ideas. (laughs) And it just goes to show you, like, Americans are so full of themselves. Americans are seriously, I've never met the brazen confidence and stupidity of an American just to be like, I'm going to live anywhere in the world and it's going to be perfect. I'm looking at you, Danielle, looking at you. Um, Also, I would like to say just based on my, like, scattered viewing of 90 Day Fiance, um, let this be a massive PSA for birth control. I have, I mean, there are so many couples on 90 Day Fiance that someone went on a trip and got pregnant. (laughs) I mean, I'm not like, oh, you know, these women get pregnant, you know, on their own, but they go, uh, they, you know, these women, these men, their inhibitions fall, they're on vacation, they let the, the tropical air take them over, and next thing you know, wham bam, oh, I had unprotected sex with this man I know for a day, and look at I'm pregnant. And now, I'm traveling back and forth to Jamaica to try and make this man be a father. Looking at you, Ariana and Sherlin. Sherlon. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, based on that, 90 Day Fiance is a hoot, okay? And the other way seems like a very fun spinoff for it. Um, and the four couples, we get introduced to four couples in this first episode, and then I think there's two more couples in this season, but we'll probably meet them in the second episode. Um, I'm going to talk about the couples, but or by couples instead of going like chronologically through the episode. So the first couple we're going to talk about is Rishi and Jen. Um, and we first meet out of the couple, we meet Rishi. And the first shot we get of him is he's outside of his house arranging all of his hair products. And he has very, very long, luscious, curly hair. Um, And he says that it takes him an hour and a half to take care of his hair. And so the first shot we see of him is essentially like outside washing his hair 
I think I like a spigot. Like I, he must not have running or like a a shower or something to do it in, or maybe just for like recording. They're doing it. <laughs> so Rishi is from Jai- Jaipur, Jaipur, India. I apologize, and he is a personal trainer. He does have very long hair. He is. Richie is quite good looking. He is pretty much like the definition of tall, dark, and handsome. And he says that some people have told him he looks like Indian Jesus. <laughs> um, and like some of his background, he has a law degree and a master's degree. And so he says he worked for, he worked as a, a corporate lawyer for a while, but he found himself in a cage. So he quit and shifted into being a, a trainer, I guess. Fitness career, he says, but it looks like I think he's just a trainer. So, he was said that in the gym, he was told he has the face of a model all the time. And like I said, Rishi's handsome. I could see how, you know, lots of white women are looking at him and being like, oh, hi, Rishi. Uh, and so, he gives a few little model poses, gets a little blue steel for the camera. And, of course, this is when we hear that he gets a lot of attention from women, being a trainer and a model. Not anything that he, you know, he doesn't have to do anything. It's just the women come up to him. And so this is how he met his fiance, Jen. And now we meet Jen, who is a 46-year-old tractor-driving lady from Stillwell, Oklahoma. She has, what are those, um, the stripes of blonde hair, just right in the front bang part of her hair. So she's one of those ladies. <laughs> Uh, and I guess she lives on her family farm with her mom, her brother, and her sister. She is, like, herding cows. She's rolling out bales of hay. I mean, seems like she knows her way around that farm. She was driving a big-ass tractor, so, you know, Jen seems like she knows her way around some heavy machinery. No, she's not afraid to get dirty, so that's cool. Good for her. Um... <laughs> Uh, I guess she was a nomad for a while in her words, and so she claims, like, she's lived around a lot of places and now is back on the farm in Oklahoma. And, of course, the oh-so-common, the oh-so-common story we hear is that she has a track record of falling for the wrong guys. And... For her, she essentially says that they were very good-looking, but not great partners to have long-term. <laughs> All the struggle of finding really hot guys, but then turning out, then it turns out they're not great to be uh, married to. Um, that's why you have to find a hot guy that's a nerd, that only wants to talk to you about D&D, and not the other women that he's had sex with. <laughs> Like my husband. No, just kidding. Um, And so then this is when Jen met Mr. Rishi. She met him in a hotel lobby in India. I feel like that's also a very common theme in uh, these these couples is meeting in hotel lobbies. Like having these moments of just our eyes met. And at that moment, I knew we were in love. It was kismet in this hotel lobby. Um... And Jen claims that at first she thought uh, Rishi was, like, the biggest douchebag ever because I guess he had whipped out the modeling photos right away. I'm really curious how that conversation started. Did, like, they just start chatting at the hotel bar or something, and then he's like, here, let me show you my headshots. You're American. Maybe you can get me a job. Um, And then she said that they started hanging out during her trip, and, you know, at some point then she just fell 
which is 90 day code for they fucked. And she was like, oh, this is probably some of the best D I've gotten ever. I'm not letting this go. I'm in India. I'm in this, I'm on vacation exploring. Ah! She thought that she was just, had reached heaven. So then within a month of meeting, Rishi proposed, of course. And so now um, we're back on the farm with Jen and she is sitting on a porch with her brother. And what we find out is because of COVID, so she went to India and then they got engaged and she was planning to go back to India. However, COVID hit. And so she says that she hasn't seen Rishi in almost two years and she's going to be moving to India in a week. I'm, that seems like a big, you'd think maybe, oh, I should come back and visit, see where we're at, see how the thing, I, nothing, you're just like, but borders are open, I'm coming and I'm living, and I'm curious, were the borders closed for two years to India? I, let me know, anybody that's traveled to India or is from India, let me know, is that the case where it was traveled to and from the states closed for two full years? I don't know. I'm not sure. I know the borders to Canada were closed for a bit, but I don't know. I'm going to need some confirmation on this. Anyways, <laughs> Jen's brother, his face during this entire conversation is is hilarious. You can tell he knows he's on camera. He doesn't want to be an asshole to his sister. He wants to be supportive. But the entire time he has a look on his face and this smirk of just like, this is such a bad idea. You realize that this is going to blow up in your face, right? Um, and then he also brings up, Jen's brother brings up that Jen has had some concerns in the past about Rishi, like dodging her and not communicating with her. And so this is when we find out that Jen has had some pretty big insecurities in their relationship over the two years. And I mean, I, I can see, I understand that, like, you're not with somebody for two years. You're only interacting over phone or video of course, insecurities are going to come up. Um, however, then the 90-day the producers do Jen dirty and show her some, show us some of her videos that she sent to Rishi when, you know, Rishi wouldn't be in contact with her, say she wouldn't, he wouldn't call her when he said he would. And so that would kind of lead um, Jen on some spirals. And we see some of the videos that she would send to Rishi you know, very much like, I have to love myself, and I, I think maybe you don't love me enough. It's giving unstable, unfortunately. It's giving desperate. Oh, Jen, Jen, Jen. Um, and again, her brother is still on the porch, just trying to hold back his smirks and laughs so hard. And he asked Jen how many, like, total days they've spent together. And Jen kind of stammers around well you know once I got there um probably about 45 days in total um and so yeah like a little less than two months okay and her brother also brings up the point like you know you have this entire support system over here like you're making your life so much harder going over there and like Essentially, her coming to the farm is an escape for her. I have a feeling, I, I have a feeling that Jen is a person that maybe has had a lot of ups and downs in her life. 
oh, ups and downs. And you're like, imagine that. People have ups and downs in their lives. Um, but I feel like she has very, very low lows and usually has to come to her family in times of support and when she needs to kind of get away from what life has become for her. That's kind of the vibe I get, especially when she brings up this point that her home or her the farm and her family is like a place where she comes to escape. And her brother brings up the point, like, you're going over to India with, like, no support system. Um, so, like, okay. Jen's brother, when he's, like, talking to the camera, he, he says, he's like, she definitely hasn't had a good track record of picking guys. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, I know that he's a model and he's, like, a trainer, but I don't know anything about his character. And essentially, you know, he's... He's trying very, very, very hard to hide his skepticism and just flat out just being like, look, my sister has a terrible track record with guys and this is probably going to go bad. <laughs> um, but you know what? I think that's kind of the fun of 90 Day. Maybe we'll be eating our words. Maybe Jen and Rishi are meant to be and they will last for all of eternity. Maybe we are wrong and we'll be eating crow. We'll see. Do I think that's likely? No. <laughs> But we shall see. Um, and so that's really like all we saw from Rishi and Jen this episode. So I think we'll get more from them probably next episode. Um, and then obviously I think we'll see Jen make her trip over to India. Oh man, I just can't imagine two years you don't see somebody. And then you're like, yeah, let's go. The, the borders are open. I'm moving in a week. I would just... And, like, is he okay with that? Did He didn't really mention anything about, like, her moving there. He's more just like, yeah, I love Jen. She's great. And, uh, we proposed. <laughs> I don't know. Like, he didn't really say anything about their relationship or anything about, like, how excited he is to have a life with her. He was mostly just like, yeah, I met her in India. And then... That's about it. And then, like, women love to come all over him. Or come... Oh, goodness. That sounded bad. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um. Anyway, so then let's move on to the next couple. Gabe and Isabel. So, we are introduced first to Gabriel. He is 32 and lives from Margate... Lives from... He is from Margate, Florida. We are introduced to him making... Foam penises at home. <laughs> so Gabe owns a brand of underwear for female to male transgender people. And this has a bulge in the underwear to help transgender men feel more confident before or if they haven't had bottom surgery. Because some transgender men decide never to have bottom surgery. Um, Gabriel explains that usually, and I didn't know this, so I thought this was actually really interesting. And I like seeing the um, diversity in couples now on 90 day we don't really see that very often on the if at all on 90 day fiance so it's actually nice to see like gay couples uh a transgender couple or well someone who's transgender in a couple a lesbian couple which we also have this season so i like the diversity and uh gabriel explains that usually male or female to male transgender people will pack, will wear packers, which is like a limp fake penis, and then they put that inside of a harness, and then you put underwear on on top of that. And he says that's heavy, and I'm sure like probably not the most comfortable. And so Gabriel came up with 
this pretty ingenious idea that he mold, ugh, he makes molds, uh, penis-shaped molds, and he fills with foam, and then puts the foam penis into, like, a pocket of the underwear. So then it gives that natural-looking bulge for transgender men to feel, you know, confident and feel like they got something, you know, feeling good. Gives them confidence. I was also thinking, like, male modeling would love those types. Like, <laughs> because we all know not all male models are packing. And so I would think, like, I don't know, male modeling companies or something would be all over that. Fashion companies. Calvin Klein would probably be like, well, they probably have their own already. But anyways, um, so yeah, Gabe, like, makes these penises all on his own in his uh, house. So he, like hand pours, he hand mixes the foam, he hand pours them, he takes them out, he shapes them. Like, I'm also curious, whose penis is this mold of? Hmm? Will we meet the the penis mold man? Hmm? <laughs> Anyways, um, so we find out that Gabriel went on a trip to Colombia while he was looking for a manufacturer for the underwear that he puts the foam penises in. And that's when he met Isabel, his fiance. Yeah, they're fiancés. Um, and of course, like every 90-day fiancé couple, they had immediate chemistry, yada, yada, yada. All the cute pictures of them snuggled up in each other's arms, that type of stuff. And Gabe says one night they went out, they were kissing and dancing, but Isabel told him that she doesn't have sex on the first night. Gabe was kind of relieved by this because he had not told her that he is transgender. Um, and so, obviously, that would be... A very nervous, you know, something that's nerve-wracking to talk about. Or I'm sure transgender people aren't quite sure how to approach that conversation sometimes. My kitty is scratching at the door again. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so then we see Gabe doing his one-man pride parades. He's standing in, like, the median of a street in his underwear and some sneakers and a cowboy hat. And he's dancing around in his underwear, getting people pipe hyped up, showing his trans pride. Good for him. I don't have that kind of confidence to walk around in my underwear, but he does, so good for him. He started uh, the one-man flash parades because of COVID canceling everything, which then I was wondering, did they cancel Pride in February, in, in uh, Florida in 2020? Did they? I feel like in 2020, Florida like closed down for two weeks, and then they were like, eh, what's COVID? <laughs> Anyways, so Gabriel... Um, you know, started these to just kind of get people in a good spirit and to just kind of make people feel in a better mood because of COVID and to show his trans pride. So Gabriel then gives us the backstory and kind of explains his trans experience and how he learned about his identity and his gender. And he says that he had a, a sister who had a friend that dressed up like a boy. And when Gabriel saw that, he immediately was like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, like, wanted to do that himself. And then as he got older, he came out as a lesbian because he didn't understand what transitioning was, what being transgender was, or that, like, that was even a thing. And so he just thought that's what it was, is that he was like a, a butch lesbian type of thing. And then he found videos of somebody who was going through transitioning, who was transgender, and Gabe ended up watching all of their videos and really learned that that's exactly what he wanted and that's what he had been experiencing. Like, 
you know, he had been feeling that all of his life. So I, I'm really like, and I am not the authority on what is a good story to show or something, but I just, I found this to be a really great way to explain a trans, uh, transgender experience for somebody that it's something that they felt in their entire lives. And it was something that they had to learn how to understand or a way to express or better identify. And I thought Gabe's story was a great example of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to see that he's able to show his story. And we, I'm really happy to see that we get to see him be an idiot later on too, because that's another part of the trans experience. Some trans people jump into very stupid relationships with someone they met online. And then they get their name tattooed on them. <laughs> Which is what Gabe does. Um, and so, anyways, Gabe realized that he could transition, so he did. And then he also says that the morning after he met Isabel, he told her that he is trans. And he told her through text, and she accepted him immediately and said that she just saw him as a man. So, you know, he said that was probably, that was a really big relief for him. And, you know, probably... Yeah, <laughs> like I can't imagine how nerve-wracking that would be. So then I guess Gabe ended up renting an apartment in Colombia and moved Isabel in with him. And so he's been going back and forth now. The underwear business must be doing really well if he's able to afford two places and go back and forth all the time. And I think he's supporting Isabel. So then we meet Gabe's friend Keon uh, and he joins in on his one man. Well, I guess it's a one-man pride parade, but on another block. And so they meet up for lunch outside because Gabe is only in his underwear and sneakers. So, you know, probably no shirt, no shoes, no service. Even in Florida. <laughs> they may be in Florida, but there are still rules, sir. And so him and Keon are essentially talking about him moving to Columbia. Keon's really happy for him. Um, and But he does ask, and he kind of has concern, like, how are trans people accepted in Columbia? And... Gabe says that there's actually a lot of trans people there, but it's definitely more trans women. And then they have this very interesting conversation about, um, you know, when even in Florida, they notice that there are more trans women. However, maybe it's harder to tell a trans man. You know, I'm not going to get into that. That's not a conversation I feel like I have any good. Uh, like, I don't think I'm well versed enough or really in the standing to kind of talk about that stuff, but it's, you know, a conversation that uh, Gabe and Keon have and kind of this conversation about, okay, are there more trans men, trans women? How are they accepted in Colombia? You know, obviously in Florida, Florida can <laughs> has its own issues as well too. I don't know how it stacks up compared to Colombia. Um, I know we find out from another person in another couple that Colombia is much more accepting of gay people than say like Venezuela. Um, but that's also different gay and transgender are different. So, you know, that I'm not sure about. Uh, and then they talk about Isabel's family and Gabe says that her parents do not know that he's trans and Gabe finds it important to come out to them because Keon, his friend is like, well, do you think you need to come out to them? Like, you know, it's up to him. Like he doesn't owe them anything to like say that he can come out to whoever he wants to, or who he doesn't have, doesn't want to. So Gabe though, finds it very important that he is honest with them because 
he says like they will be coming becoming his family and like his family her family has been very accepting and loves him so you know he's just kind of like asking for Keon's advice and Keon is like I think you should come out first and then ask for their blessing because I think Keon is saying like you don't want to ask for their blessing get engaged and then say that in case they reject him or you know it could cause some more issues between Isabel and her family you know it, it just I don't know what the correct way of approaching it is. Obviously, Isabel is okay with it, so I would hope that her family also is. But you never know. It's a different culture. People are different. Um, and especially, yeah, if like you're going to be joining their family, you really want to make sure that they are on board. And, and I get, too, he doesn't want to feel like he's maybe keeping a secret. I don't want to say that not coming out to somebody is keeping a secret because, like, like, straight people don't have to come out, you know, like, nobody, you know, I, you don't get your first boyfriend, or I, I didn't get my first boyfriend and say, look at I'm straight, you know, so I, I get it where he's not sure what to do, and who knows what the right thing is to do, only Gabe knows that. Now we get to the fun part, <laughs> where Gabe goes and gets a tattoo, and in the smartest idea ever, he gets a tattoo of Isabel's name on him. <laughs> How many people in 90 Day Fiance have done that? I don't know if that's as common in 90 Day Fiance stuff. But um, then Gabe's sister shows up because we find out that the person doing Gabe's tattoo is actually Gabe's sister's boyfriend. And so Monica and Gabe, I guess, butt heads a lot. And Monica asks Gabe immediately as he's getting the tattoo done, are you going to cover up the other girlfriend's name that you have tattooed on him? Oh, red flag, red flag, red flag. So this is when we find out that <laughs> Gabe has done this before, but when he was younger, like 19 years old. But since it's on his neck, he doesn't see it, so it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> I wonder what Isabel thought when she saw it. Um, and this is pretty much when we find out from his sister that, like, Gabe has moved way too fast with, like, every girlfriend He's lived with two or three girlfriends, and then his sister brings out that she's actually, he's moved in some of his girlfriends to his mom's house. So yeah, it sounds like Gabe has a lot of flash-in-the-pan relationships that get really, really intense and committed really quick and then turn out not working out. And then, <laughs> to keep adding on to this shit sandwich, we find out that Isabel has kids, and Apparently, Gabe had told his sister that he didn't want to date somebody with kids after his previous relationship. So I guess something didn't end well with that. And so we find out that Isabel has two kids. They're 16 and 11. But in Gabe's mind, he says they're older, and so they can take care of themselves. Uh, excuse me, sir, an 11-year-old cannot take care of themselves. Yes, maybe a 16-year-old has some more independence, but even then, you're still going to have to do some parenting there. <laughs> like... If that wasn't the case, then they would not be living at home anymore. Like, they would, you know, it's just, oh, that's such naive and foolish thinking on Gabe's part. But it will make for great television, so I'm here for it. Um, but Gabe is chalking this up to his sister, like, you know, uh, they can they can take care of themselves. And, you know, well, I'm not going to have to, like, babysit them and stuff. And so... Monica, his sister's like, so you're not going to help her with her kids at all? Like, you're just going to marry her and not be of help? And then Gabe kind of plays it off. Like, well, well, she's very motherly and provides for them. And then Monica asks, but you pay all the bills for them, right? So, like, you're the provider? Ah! 
This is so bad. And I love his sister had no problem coming out on TV and just being like, yeah, so this is a terrible idea. And you've like rushed into relationships before. You've tattooed somebody's name on you before. You big dummy. <laughs> um, you know, I, we'll see. It's very clear from this conversation that Gabe does not quite understand like the enmeshment and how much his life is going to be involving Isabel's kids. <laughs> I think he just thinks, oh, you know, well, when I'm there, like, we just, like, hang out and everything's cool because he doesn't have to deal with the day-to-day and, you know, the actual parenting of it because he's only there every, you know, so often. We will see. <laughs> I mean, Gabe claims that uh, his relationship with the kids are good and that he feels like they're, like, a family when they're together. So... I, I hope for the best, but I just, <laughs> that was definitely some funny red flags that Monica put out there, and I, that's a sister that does not have a problem embarrassing the fuck out of her sibling. Man, oh man. Um, Gabe, though, ends by just, he absolutely knows that this is the one. His sister is very sus still, but Gabe's gonna do what he wants, obviously. He's moving, and then Gabe says, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll be back and you can t- tell me I told you so. <laughs> and I'm sure Monica is waiting for that day. <laughs> so that's all that we get for now of uh, Gabe and Isabel. I think we'll meet Isabel in this next episode. And so now I want to save the last two of this episode that we see. Now, remember, we have two more couples, one that is in Morocco and one that is in Egypt, and I'm very curious how those are going to go. <laughs> but we will meet those couples in the next episode. But these final two, we have Chris and Jamie, who are a lesbian couple. And then we also have Danielle and Johan. I'm going to save Danielle and Johan for last because save the worst for last. The, the monster for last that is Danielle. Um, and then Chris and Jamie, I would say, is probably second to worst in terms of like real bad red flags. I would put probably Rishi and Jen at the lowest. I would say, okay, Gabe and Isabel maybe at the lowest of the red flags. Uh, They seem like they've been together for a while. They live together. They seem like they've spent the most time together. Um, And then, you know, obviously the red flags, like it seems like Gabe rushes into relationships very quickly. He's providing everything for them. Um, and then I would say maybe Rishi and Jen, because of Jen's kind of unstable messages when Rishi doesn't call her, and also they haven't seen each other in person in two years. And then I would say Chris, Chris and Jamie go into the third worst in terms of red flags. <laughs> and I think the first red flag is that we see Chris dressing up in a fairy costume frolicking through her yard to check her mail. <laughs> now, I don't want to judge. People do also. In eighth grade, I showed up in a cow costume to my school football game for no reason. I just did. So I, I really, I get it. People are fucking weird. I've been fucking weird, okay? Um, but you're on TV, miss. Although you're on TV on a show to talk about how you're marrying a woman you've never met that lives in Colombia. So fuck it. I think maybe the, the 
<laughs> the fairy costumes and the the onesies are probably the least weird thing about all this. But anyways, so we meet Chris, and she is 40 years old from Haleyville, Alabama. She claims she's 40 going on 20, and she claims she looks like she's 20. I would say she looks good for 40, but she does not look 20. Um, and like I said, we are introduced to her onesie collection. She's got Christmas onesie. She's got, uh, a lot. It's a lot. Okay. But good for her. You know what? Fuck it. I'm being a hater. Good for her. And she's definitely, you know, she's from the Bible Belt and she claims that costumes have helped her be herself over the years. So that's why she really loves them. Again, I know I'm a fucking dick. Whatever. It's just weird. Okay. Sorry. It's just, anyways, <laughs> Chris has two kids and she's been married twice, although she says her marriages weren't long. And she says she was never happy in her relationship. And I wonder why. She raised her kids as a single mom. And then after her son graduated high school, she found out that she wanted to have that lesbian connection. So she went online. And, you know, just in typical 90 Day Fiance fashion, they just they accidentally or they, they stumble upon some sort of crazy ad for an international dating website. <laughs> so she just happened to take the, cl- the chance and she clicked on it and found her soulmate, a woman named Jamie. So I think I mentioned this before. Jamie is Venezuelan, but she now lives in Bogota, Colombia. Um, Jamie looks like a real baddie. She's very pretty. She shows pictures of her with some like dark purple lipstick and some eye makeup. She's, you know, very pretty. Chris says that she was looking for women... Um, that were also interested in women, but were like kind of in hiding and, you know, because she didn't come out for a very long time and, you know, grew up in a community that was very, you know, not accepting of gay people. So this is her first serious relationship with a woman. And so I should say she's not gay, but Chris has always considered herself bisexual, but she found herself more attracted to women. So on the spectrum of her bisexuality, she's, you know, finds herself more attracted to women. Um, and so obviously, like she said, in Alabama, same-sex relationships really aren't, um, accepted. So she would sneak off to Birmingham, Alabama, which I guess is like an hour and a half away from where she lives, and she would go to gay bars there where she knew nobody would know her, and she couldn't get in, what she says is get in trouble. And I'm like, oh, that's such a, that's a shame. It's a, it's a shame that she had to think that way, that, like, if someone saw her being happy and just, like doing what she wanted to, that she would be in trouble. Um, but anyways, she says that she had some intimate relationships with women, but not any, like, real relationship that she would go out in public and, you know, be affectionate with them or that type of stuff, and because of her upbringing. But what's really nice is she says that she is finally happy and she wouldn't change anything about it. So good for her. I'm glad that we're finding her in a place where she's, like, accepting herself and, like, she says that her kids um, are very accepting of her and stuff like that and understand her relationships and every, or understand, um, her sexuality and stuff. So we find out that Jamie and Chris have been together for one year, but they haven't met in person yet. (laughs) They've only talked over the phone and Chris leaves to move to Bogota in one week. (laughs) One week. And not to mention you. So we find her in this garage full of shit. And so I guess she's currently doing a yard sale and she has multitudes of cake pans. I don't Was she a baker at one point in her life? Like so many different cake pans. And then we meet her kids and we find out that Chris got pregnant the first time that she had sex at 16. 
And anytime I hear someone say, it stops me in my tracks. It makes me say a little prayer and a Hail Mary to Jesus because that didn't happen to me. <laughs> oh, we're just going to leave it at that. But, oh, that always scares me when people say that. So kids, bleh, I'm sorry, Chris, um, like I mentioned before, her kids say that they're very open to her relationship, but they're very nervous about her moving to a whole ass other country with someone that she's never met. You know, pretty reasonable things to worry about. Uh, you know, her daughter, Star, Star with two R's, expresses her worry. Um, and we find out, they ask her how many days it will be from when she arrives in Colombia to when they get married. Nine days. They've never met in person and will spend a week and two days getting to know each other before deciding to get married. <sighs> oh, my God. Chris says that her and Jamie both want to get married as soon as possible. We hear that the sad story about how Jamie got a really, really bad case of COVID and almost died. Um, you know, and so Chris is explaining this to her kids. She gets very emotional. You know, she's explaining that Jamie was on, like, death's door. Now, we don't have proof of that, you know, but we'll get into that later. That's, that's sort of a little later. Um, you know, and so Chris figured after this whole COVID thing, she knew she wasn't going to wait to be with Jamie anymore. She was just going to Columbia to be with her. And, you know, she didn't want to waste the time waiting for a U.S. visa to go through and all that type of stuff. Okay, dokely. <laughs> I guess if that's what you want to fucking do. But, um, so now we get to Columbia and we are meeting Jamie. She's at a sexy lingerie shop. She's trying on stuff. Jamie is 30 years old. She left Venezuela five years ago because she said it was a very hard life there. And also they aren't very accepting of gay people where Columbia is much more accepting. She tells the attendant helping her, you know, with her little nighty thing that she's buying, that um, she's buying the lingerie for a woman. I think kind of to show the crowd, like, to show the audience, like, look it, she's telling somebody that she's a lesbian. And Jamie then says in her talking head, she's like, I'm a lesbian today, tomorrow, next week, next month. She's a flat out lesbian. Make no mistakes about it. So good for her. She lets us know. Um, and finally, this is what she said. She's had boyfriends before, but she never enjoyed sex with men. And she says that she's never orgasmed with a man. So there you go. That's all the reason she needs, right? <laughs> Fuck it. I thought it was very interesting, though, that she's like, sorry, guys. <laughs> so, um, and interestingly, what she did is she went to therapy. She had struggled for a very long time, feeling bad about herself and all this type of stuff. And it was through therapy that she realized she's a lesbian. And for the first time in her life, she felt like she was normal but she hasn't even told her parents, though, yet. Her friends accept her, but she knows that her parents will not think it's, quote, normal and not accept her. So that's that's got to be tough. I feel bad for her in that regard. Jamie says that she's also never had an official girlfriend. So, you know, her friends suggested trying the online route, and that's how she met Chris. I'm curious how her friends, what her friends recommended online. Was it maybe the apps, or should you try and find a foreigner? <laughs> To get from the U.S. to start dating. But that's either here or there. You know, Jamie sounds quite, like, smitten with Chris. You know, she sounds like she makes her very happy. But let's remember, they are engaged and have never met in person. So we have to remember all of these things. 
So Jamie, then we see her in a Zoom with some of her friends that are from Venezuela because she says that she hasn't made a lot of friends in Colombia. She tells them about Chris moving there, and they both look not through. They both look like distressed by this, and they ask uh, Jamie, "How many times have you called me crying about what Chris is doing?" Okay, so this is when we learn that apparently Chris went missing. Uh, for like 20 days before Jamie's birthday, but then reappeared on Jamie's birthday. And then I guess from there, they like talked it out and Chris informed her she was like going through some hard stuff and then voila, they worked it out, I guess. <laughs> it like, it, that also seems to be a very common thread in 90 Day Fiance is like someone falls off the face of the earth for a minute and then comes back. And in the relationship that people are just like, okay, we're still meant to be together, right? Um, I, I just, yeah, so clearly Jamie's friends are like, uh, like, so what's gonna stop this from happening again, even though, you know, Jamie claims this hasn't happened again, blah, 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 everything's gonna be different once Chris arrives. Okay, well, then we find out even more that during this little stint when Chris had disappeared, Jamie claims that this was also the same time that her grandmother died, and so Jamie was very lonely and sad feeling. So, to make herself feel better, she went back to the dating site and started messaging with another woman that she found. Uh, and I guess that was for about a month. Okay, Jamie, that's what you say. I'm curious if maybe Chris's disappearance had something to do with this, but Jamie chalks it up to a rebel moment, quote that she had. I love that. That was a rebel moment of mine. I was just being a rebel. <laughs> Finding other girls to talk to online. Um, you know, and then, uh, like the sign of a healthy, long-lasting relationship, Jamie says that her and Chris have had their ups and downs, but they get through them together. Uh, lots of ups and downs for a relationship you've never even met each other, but okay, that sounds healthy. <laughs> so now we're back, um, in Alabama with Chris, and she is in a very dilapidated-looking house, ripping wallpaper off the walls. Um, and then Chris's mom also shows up. So Chris tells us that she bought her dream home six years ago, but then it had a fire. We don't get into how it happened, or... It's just, she was like, it burnt up. Um, so she's been slowly rebuilding it in hopes to, like, rent it out. She's leaving in, like, a week, though, and this house is nowhere near, right? Like, this house is gutted still, <laughs> but uh, she's apparently going to be rebuilding it while also living in Colombia. Okay, um, but anyway, she's leaving, and she wants to have the house rented out. She also owns the house next door that she is renting to own to somebody, and so I guess that will give her some income to help pay, like, her rent and shit in Colombia. Okay. And then we find out also she was a manager for a large shipping company until recently and also did security for a school. So she's going from like two jobs to none. But I guess she'll have a little bit of passive income that she is going to be using to live in Colombia. You know, something more than what a lot of these couples are working with. I mean, Gabe has his business, so that's one thing. Um, but I don't know what the fuck Jen has. Danielle doesn't have shit. So, all right. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so Chris, I don't know how the fuck she's going to build out this house or uh, renovate this burnt up house when she's living in Colombia. 
go off, I guess, but okay. Um, and so, like I said, we meet Chris's mom, and Chris's mom tells the camera that she found out, she was very, very surprised to find out that Chris was leaving to Columbia to marry a lady. <laughs> and, you know, she had never brought a lady home before or anything like that. But Chris's mom says that she's a devout member of the church, but it's not her place to judge. It's Heavenly Father's place to judge. <laughs> Very like, bless your heart, bless your heart. Um, so yeah, it's up to, to Heavenly Father to decide if Chris is going to burn in eternity. So then Chris's mom brings up that Chris has narcolepsy. That's a big one that we didn't hear about before. So she asked Chris if her and Jamie have discussed her health issues. Jamie was diagnosed with narcolepsy a few years ago, and it sounds like it's a real battle for her. Um, you know, I think in society a lot of people think, oh, narcolepsy, you just fall asleep. But it's way more than that. She has really bad memory issues. She just falls asleep randomly. And she expresses that this has been an issue for her relationships in the past. And, like, I think what people probably don't understand how to deal with it or you know, probably don't have the patience, that type of stuff. And yeah, she explains that she'll have sleeping spells where she'll just like fall asleep in the middle of eating. She has really bad memory issues. And I don't want to be like judgmental, but I kind of got the vibe of that she has, she looked a little medicated out and it's probably because she's on medication for her narcolepsy that has a slew of side effects. Um, you know, narcolepsy is no fucking joke. It sounds like it's a very hard thing to live with. And I'm thinking immediately to myself, are you going to be able to have, like, access to the medical care and, like, medicine that you need in Columbia? Like, and you're not a citizen, so I don't know what their health care is like in terms of, you know, like, are you going to be able to get access to a doctor? I mean, I know Bogota is a major city, but I'm thinking for something like narcolepsy, do they have specialists for that there? Like, uh, I would be very nervous about that, too. <laughs> and it also seems like since her and Jamie have not met each other in person, Jamie probably has no idea what to, is dealing with narcolepsy like, what dealing with narcolepsy is like. And... Chris makes a point to say, like, Jamie's going to have to understand this or our relationship isn't going to work. That's going to be a big, big thing to get through. Oh, yikes, yikes, yikes. As soon as her mom brought up her narcolepsy, I was like, what? Like, it's one thing to, like, quit your job, sure. Uh, but, ma'am, ma you have narcolepsy? What the fuck are you going to do about that? Oh, man. So, okay. Um... Then another concern that her mom brings up is that she hopes, you know, obviously she wants everything to work out, but she's worried that, you know, once everybody is gone and Chris spends all of her money on Jamie because Jamie has been, or uh, Chris has been supporting Jamie, um, her mom worries that she's going to leave her high and dry and just be like, see ya, bitch. Chris says that is a fair concern, which then also makes me more scared too. <laughs> Because usually the parents will express these concerns. Oh, it's a scam. It's a scam. And the child, now granted, Chris is older. She's 40. But usually the child of concerned parent will be like, eh, it's not a big deal. I don't care. Look at Nicole and Azen, for example. Uh, but Chris says that this is a fair concern. So that's even more troubling that you agree, Chris. <laughs> because Chris has been sending money 
to uh, Jamie. And then she found out that Jamie was talking to someone else. Hmm. So six months ago, Chris found out that Jamie was talking to a woman from Texas. Is this the same woman that Jamie mentioned when she was talking to her friends? I think. I'm going to assume it is. But anyways, Chris said that she got a message from this woman. And this woman claimed that Jamie was using Chris for money. And, um, you know, we also find out that Chris was paying for Jamie's bills when she was, quote, sick with COVID. And Chris, or I'm sorry, this woman, though, claimed that Jamie was working the entire time and was not actually sick with COVID. So she may actually be scamming her. Chris confronted Jamie about it. However, she denied it. And I guess they're just moving past it. I guess they were able to talk it out over the phone and Jamie is trying to make amends for it, I guess. So that's also troubling. <laughs> like, there is a lot of things here that are troubling between the health issues, um, you have never met in person, Jamie seems to be using people or talking to multiple people. Huh. Anyways, and yeah, Chris's mom just kind of ends it with like, if this doesn't work, this is going to be a big fall for her, and I'm just nervous, boo-boo. <laughs> oh, I hope the best for Chris, because it seems like she's a woman that uh, could be taken advantage, advantage of very easily. She seems very generous, and she seems like she wants that connection very, very much, but also, like, is maybe willing to do anything to have it. Oh... And that narcolepsy, I need, oh, that narcolepsy, that added a whole other layer of worry to me. Because I'm just thinking to myself, how are you going to manage that in Colombia? Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's like world-renowned narcolepsy specialists in Colombia. Let me know if I'm wrong. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't have any good doctors there or anything. I mean, if she's going to be in a major city, she'll have access to quality health care, I imagine. But that's... All right, Chris. All right. <laughs> so now let's move on to the final chapter, the Bella de Balls, Danielle and Johan. Or as I like to call Danielle, Miss I Hate New York City. <laughs> so we get frantic jazz music playing in the background, whirring trumpets, shots of traffic, construction, you know, all the bustle of New York City that Danielle hates. Um, and Danielle was on season two of Love in Paradise, and we saw her relationship with Johan play out there, and she had her love-hate relationship with New York even then. She calls New York a toxic boyfriend that she just can't escape. And then we see her go into a coffee shop where she orders a large matcha latte with oat milk that costs $11. <laughs> um, and... You know, Danielle kind of goes boo-hoo about, you know, just kind of like, <laughs> just privileged boo-hoo about everything's a struggle in New York. It's dirty. It's expensive. She says she's lived there for 15 years and it's always been, a, it's always been hard. Um, again, I'm like, is New York City the only place you can live? Like, if you hate it so much, well, <laughs> we'll get into that, I guess. Um, so Danielle is a high school history teacher. And she also, as a side hustle, owns a yoga and wellness business. And she got pregnant at 21. She got married at 26 and was only married for like six months. 
and then she had a few live-in boyfriends. She even swore off dating for a while. Um, and then she took a good old-fashioned sex trip to the Dominican Republic. And that's where she met this tree of a man, Johan. He is a personal trainer at the hotel that she was staying at. Very, very handsome. Um, he's 6'7", and she is 4'11", 5 foot, something like that. So they are, it's literally like a cartoon seeing the two of them together. And, you know, Danielle, of course, had that moment when they saw each other in the hotel lobby that, you know, she looked at him and pointed right away, that's going to be the man she's marrying, you know. Because also, let's not forget, Danielle is very spiritual. So in the second season of Love in Paradise, uh, we see her uh, talk with her spiritual advisor uh, because she practices the African African spiritual belief of Aoife. So she sages a bunch of rooms everywhere she goes. She's always praying to something. And I'm not making fun of the faith. It's just, it's clearly some sort of way of her to justify anxiety or feeling bad about things that she's like, oh, well, I'll just pray it away or I'll you know, manifest some spirits to come and, like, handle this stuff. Like, Johan's womanizing energy that she was told she had to watch out for. Um, or, you know, the $200 of peanuts that he ate <laughs> when they were, when she was visiting. You know, that type of stuff. She needed to pray away and sage the bad energy and stuff. Uh, and obviously, during this entire time, Johan was just looking at her like, uh, okay, it usually leads to sex, so... That's fine with me. We also found out in the second season uh, that Johan is hung like a fucking horse. And Danielle tells us that Johan's penis is the size of her arm. Oh, that made me hurt hearing about that. I was like, excuse me, Danielle, are you okay? You need to see a doctor probably to make sure that you were hurt in some way. Um, but anyways, <laughs> that's a that's a whole... If you haven't watched season two of Love in Paradise, I highly recommend it because there's some really, really good storylines on that. And Daniel and Johan, wow, they're just very, very interesting. Danielle wants to try and have a baby with Johan. She's 42, so it's very slim chances, yet she thinks she's going to be able to manifest it. She's complaining about how much everything costs in New York City, but then she's also thinking they may have to do IVF. Oh, nothing with her makes any fucking sense. <laughs> um, so anyways, Danielle and Johan, they got engaged very shortly after they met. And then after a few months, Danielle returned to the Dominican Republic and they got married. And we saw that on Love in Paradise. Um, Danielle, <laughs> again, she always is saying that she's paying for everything. It's always her money. But then she also likes to add this little caveat that she works hard for her money. Which automatically then implies that I guess Johan doesn't. Um, for what it sounds like, Johan works almost seven days a week. He makes very little money in Colombia, like barely enough to survive, which we find out. And it's like, oh, Danielle, you're disgusting. You are the disgusting American of this whole franchise right now. Um, so, yes, they get married. Uh and then now the biggest issue that they're dealing with is where they are going to live. Johan and her, I think we're originally under the assumption that they were going to move to the U.S. The U.S. has a lot more opportunities for Johan to work. And Johan is like, dude, I, I work in 
live in poverty here. But Danielle, Miss Entitled American, is like, no, I want to live the, on the beach somewhere where it's cheaper. And so there, to that, I'm like, go to fucking Florida then. You want to live on the beach where it's cheaper? Like, bitch, the first season when you came and saw him, you were complaining that he didn't have running water. What do you think it's going to be like when you move down there? <laughs> Anyways, um, so... Then Danielle had to go back to the U.S. for work uh, after they got married. And she's saying she can't build any savings while she's in New York City. So then I'm thinking to myself, well, how are you going to fund your lifestyle in the Dominican Republic? Because you won't be working. Like, what are you going to be doing? And also I'm thinking you can't build any savings while you sure have been able to save enough money to go on vacation to the Dominican Republic all the time. So... But yeah, so Danielle's um, uh, response to this is moving to the Dominican Republic because she doesn't want to maintain this long-distance relationship. And um, so we see Danielle at one point ending her yoga class that she has. And so we see this very staged moment where she tells her two of her yoga students that this is her last uh, day teaching and she's moving her whole life to the Dominican Republic. And her students are very shocked by this. And they're like, you know, do you hear what's coming out of your mouth that you're literally giving up your entire life to move to the Dominican Republic with this man? And this is where we hear of the term. I have never heard of this before because I've never traveled to the Caribbean before. But um, Danielle's yoga student says that Johan sounds like a sanky panky. And I'm like, is that, a f- is that an offensive term? Like, I don't want to sound like, but apparently <laughs> you learn something new every day. Um, and her yoga student explains that a sa- a sanky panky is a man who works at a resort and is looking for a tourist to provide them with money, goods, visas, essentially just someone to use. And so they will have these kind of like pseudo relationships with them, um, to get these things, these perks, these things, you know, gifts, money, whatever it is. And that... <laughs> Danielle even says, yeah, when I came back, that was the first thing that someone brought up, too, is, oh, maybe he's a sanky-panky. I've never heard this term before, so look at that. And like I said, I've never traveled to the Caribbean. I would always love, I would love to go to the Dominican Republic or, you know, anywhere down there. I Honestly, watching all of this has made me crave a tropical vacation. I want to go somewhere warm and sit on a beach so bad. Um, not move there and fall in love. I'll go with my husband, and we'll have a lovely time. Uh, but I would, I'll come back home. I'm not gonna <laughs> just play in the beach in my sundresses like Danielle wants to do. So then we see Danielle meet up with her friends, Lizette and Sandra, who we also saw in Love in Paradise. And in Love in Paradise, they even told her that she was fucking nuts for what she was doing. Because in that season, we saw Danielle spring on her friends that she was going to get married. Um... So then Danielle tells her that now, tells her friends that now she's moving to the DR and her friends are also like, so you're going to give up all your shit? What are you going to do there? What are you, how are you going to make money? And so Danielle chalks it up again to like, well, you know, I just like to be at the beach. You know me. And their friends again are like, so how are you going to make money? Danielle, she's obviously being some dumb, she's trying to be goofy, she's like, I'll eat mangoes, you know, and she says that she can do her Zoom classes and all this stuff, I'm like, is that gonna be enough? Like, to, oh man, 
And then Danielle has the nerve to even say, I'll manifest it. Talk, that is the, the words of somebody who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Somebody that says they're going to manifest it. Oh, I feel bad for Lizette and Sandra. She must be, Danielle must be one of the most infuriating people to be friends with. She is probably that friend that always is coming up with a stupid idea. And you are just supposed to be like, yeah. Sounds great, Danielle. I'm sure that's going to work out wonderfully for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and her friends are, uh, they even say that. She's like, she's living in this fantasy world, you know, that she's going to have in the Dominican Republic because she's only been on vacation there. <laughs> it's exactly. Of course you think it's going to be amazing and just living on the beach because that's all you've ever done in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> um, and then, you know, this is when her friends tell her that it's more than sundresses and walking barefoot on the beach. But Danielle, you know, she isn't worried about those what-ifs. She just wants to enjoy her life with her husband in a slower pace. Uh, and this is what's so funny with Danielle. She doesn't... There's either the Dominican Republic to live in or New York City. There's no other in between. Like, move to fucking Florida or South Carolina. Like, where you can be on the beach and it's cheaper than New York. And, and like... You can still make your... You could teach yoga on the beach there. But, like, we saw in Love is Paradise, Love in Paradise, how Danielle reacted to Johan's living conditions. She even said, this hair needs water pressure. And from what we saw, you're going to be using water collected from a, in a bucket with no running water, honey. You're going to have Johan pouring buckets of water on you. And then what? Spending the whole day at the beach? What are you going to be doing? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so then we find out the real cherry on top. And this is what makes Danielle fucking awful, in my opinion. Johan is under the impression that they will be living in the Dominican Republic until he has his visa interview. And then once he gets approved with for a spousal visa, they will go to the States. However... Danielle hasn't told Johan that she hasn't applied for his visa yet, and she doesn't have any intention of coming back to the United States. So essentially, she is trapping him in the Dominican Republic because she doesn't like how expensive New York is. She is a selfish fucking bitch. I will say it plain and simple. Even her friends, Lizette and, Lizette and Sandra, ask, so does Johan know your plans about this? And like a little fucking schemer... Danielle first says, um, yes, I think so. And her friends are good. They're good. They're like, no, I think so is not yes. Does he know? And eventually they get it out of Danielle that she says, no, she has not told him yet that that is her plan. <sighs> that is, oh my God, what a shitty thing to do to somebody. I, I hope Johan Sanky Panky's the fuck out of her or whatever the fuck that is. Like, what an awful thing to do. Like, whoops, sorry, you can't go to the States without me. So, hmm, you're stuck here because I want to live on the beach. <laughs> New York's so expensive. Fuck you being able to get more opportunities to provide for your family. Oh, my God. And I'm not saying, like, Johan has perfectly innocent intentions in this. Possibly he's playing the fuck out of her, too, and is only looking for an opportunity to move to the States make more money and send money back to his parents because that is something he also talked about in love is paradise when danielle met his family is that like the intention is me to work there and help them with money oh man 
And again, Danielle, though, is the only place they can ever live is New York. They couldn't live anywhere else. There's Out of all 50 states in the United States, it's only New York and only New York City that she can live in. She can't move upstate. You know, she couldn't move to Long Island, Staten Island, you know, Jersey, which is cheaper. I, no, it's only New York City. <laughs> and that's where it's just kind of like, you're so fucking close-minded and so much like, it's so black and white for her and Johan just has to deal with it. Um, and then in this conversation, to add to even more of Danielle's stupidity, they bring up that um, she's giving up her pension. And then Danielle says that her pension advisor said that if she stayed for one more year, she could get like $15,000 more in her pension. And this bitch, who's claiming that New York is too expensive so she can't save anything, also says that an extra $15,000 when she's 63 really won't matter that much. That must be fucking nice to think so, Danielle. What is it? Is New York too expensive? Or you don't give a fuck about an extra $15,000 towards your retirement? Like, because $15,000 when you're 63 is going to come in real fucking handy. You better hope that you're in good health. You better hope that, you know, <laughs> Johan is in good health and nothing the fuck has happened to you. Oh, that's, and you could tell her friends are looking at her just like, this idiot. What a dummy. And I would, I would have such a hard time keeping my mouth shut if I was Danielle's friend. I would, I don't even know if I could be friends with someone as stupid as Danielle. I don't know. I, I. And I don't mean it as, oh, you're stupid to want to live in a different country than America. Trust me. I, people have plenty of reasons and live plenty great lives living somewhere else than America. It's the fact that she is doing this as a way to trap this man into staying in the Dominican Republic because she knows that since they're married, he can't get to the U.S. without her. And also, she's so short-sighted and just thinking, well, I like the beach, so I'm just going to live in the DR. And like, fuck my pension, fuck everything that I've worked hard for in the last 15 years in New York City because fuck it, I'm just going to the DR. Like, oh my god, oh my god, she's so stupid. Um, and so, anyways, her friends are pretty much just like, well, I, I guess we wish you the best, but like, your whole idea of what your life is gonna be like is a cartoon to me, so, yep. So now Danielle is flying to the Dominican Republic, and she is pretty much saying, like, we have a lot to figure out. How about, like, we aren't planning on going to get you a visa, Johan, to go to the U.S. <laughs> so now we see Johan. He's introduced to us, and he is showering outside, which is quite a nice show to watch. I mean, like I said, this man is very nice. He is a tree of a man. He is ripped. He is tall. He's very handsome. Um, and so we see shots of Johan's hometown, which Danielle visited, um, during Love in Paradise. And he explains he comes from a very humble town with lots of hardworking people. Clearly people who know that there's not a lot of opportunity for them in the Dominican Republic. He doesn't speak a lot of English. And so we have seen that mostly him and Danielle interact in Spanish and he studies English in his free time. I don't know how often he is. Danielle claims that he doesn't study English very much at all. But we see some, you know, producer-made clips of him doing it. And he expresses he wants to have more opportunities in the U.S. And so he's learning English to hopefully help himself with that as well. And poor guy is going to get a rude awakening from Miss I Hate NYC. So Johan shows up to the airport and... From what it sounds like, 
it sounds like Johan thinks that Danielle's just here for a week trip. Like, where Danielle has expressed that this is her last trip before she moves there. So Danielle is hoping that they're going to find an apartment, they're going to do all that type of stuff. Um, now, from the talking heads with Johan, it sounds like he loves Danielle very much. I mean, we've heard that all the time on tons of 90 Day Fiancé couples. All the, cop- all the couples claim they love each other very much. Um, but so far, I don't think we've seen any, like, super egregious evidence that he's just using Danielle. I mean, that's still to be determined. Like I said, even though Danielle is fucking awful for what she's planning to do to Johan, Johan could just as well be using her. Who knows? They could both be fucking garbage humans. <laughs> um, so Danielle and Johan reunite at the airport. He has to scoop her tiny ass up because she's 4'11 and he's 6'7". Um, they are kissing, and he bought her some flowers, very sweet, that type of stuff. And then we get a little talking moment of them outside the airport. They're standing together with the foot and a half difference between them. And now, Danielle is speaking all in English, which is interesting, because usually she speaks pretty decent Spanish all the time around Johan. But to the camera, she's speaking in English and says, you know, they have to find an apartment. She has to explain to Johan that they are never going back to New York. And she's doing this, she's saying this as she's laughing. And Yo- and Johan is just kind of looking there, doesn't understand what she's saying, and goes, um, como? What? In Spanish. He has no idea what the fuck is going on. She doesn't, he's, she knows he doesn't speak much English, so she's just giggling away like, he, he, he doesn't know that I don't plan to go back to New York. <laughs> and just looks up at him. <laughs> Like, what? This is the type of shit that I'm like, this is evil. That's fucking evil to do to somebody. Danielle says that Johan doesn't know that she's just changed her mind. And, you know, because, you know, oh, fuck it. I just can do that. And this man is not coming to the U- to the U.S. because I think it's too expensive. Oh, my God. Um, so now they're in the car driving. And this is when Danielle really starts laying it on heavy about, you know, Oh, it's perfecto here. And why would you want to live in New York? It's so expensive. And, you know, she's really laying it on thick. Just like, oh, I love it here, baby. It's so pretty. Waxing and waning on about, oh, the beach is so beautiful. Why would you want to leave that? So then this is when Danielle decides to tell Johan that her plan for the week is to find an apartment that isn't temporary. So she says that she never wants to return to the U.S. And obviously, Johan is kind of stunned by this. She tells Johan she wants to live in the DR forever. And Johan straight up says to Danielle, you have a problem. He says that he, he says that she told him, Danielle told Johan, she wanted to live in the DR for a year while he waits for his spousal visa. Well, then Danielle brings up that that was during COVID times. And so I guess a lot of people were leaving New York Which, yeah, I guess, you know, during 2020, a lot of people were moving um, because they could work remotely and stuff like that. So they were leaving New York to go live in other countries and cities. But now they're returning. And so I guess New York apartments are expensive again. Were they ever cheap? (laughs) Was New York ever a cheap city to live in? Um, and, And then again, this is where I'm like, how is New York or the DR the only two places you can live? She's like, always, she keeps saying to Yon, she's like, I want to live a chill life with our family and by the beach. (laughs) Again, move to fucking Florida. 
She's so unreasonable. She's so short-sighted. And she just continues to use that New York is too expensive. So, you know, she can only imagine living in the DR. Then Johan, in A Talking Head, is essentially saying, he goes, Danielle only sees the bad because she wants to live in the DR. She doesn't know how hard it is to actually live here. Because, again, she's only fucking vacationed there. Everything seems really beautiful and a wonderful place to live when you're on a resort at the beach drinking pina coladas getting dicked down by the personal trainer. Yeah, I would live in the DR if that was what it was all day, but I know that's not. That's what it is when you vacation there. And Johan continues to explain to the talking in a talking head, you work for years and years and years and end up with nothing. You live day by day. And we saw that in Johan's family. We saw it was his entire family living in a very small house. They didn't have running water. They had barely functioning electricity. Like, at least in New York, Danielle's able to afford her apartment and to travel to the Dominican Republic all the time. She can afford running water. So yeah, like I can see where Johan is coming from where he's like, she's being really foolish because she has no idea what it's like to actually live here. Same thing that Danielle's friend said too. <laughs> like, bitch, you're living in a fantasy world. Um, so back in the car, Johan says um, he doesn't want to stay in the DR. He's lived here his entire life. And Danielle just keeps going back on about like, well, you know, people work there too much. And then which was really gross that I thought she said. She goes, well, you don't speak good enough English, so you wouldn't be able to get a good job anyways. So what? That means he just shouldn't be allowed to come to the country at all and, like, get a job at all? Excuse me, how many people have probably come to New York or the United States in general and don't speak the language? And I don't care, and I'm all for those people because this is how that fucking country was founded, was people leaving another country to come and take it from someone else and to start another country. So fuck you if you think he doesn't speak enough good, speak well enough English to get a good job. Like, fuck you. I, to me, I, I, that was gross of her to say. And it, it just shows kind of like her American elitism that she thinks that she has or that she thinks that she's the only one that like has worked so hard. Uh, ugh, but whatever. Um... You know, and I'm not trying to say, like, the American dream is alive and well. I Danielle, at the end of the episode, um, she pretty much just says, like, the American dream is not real. Well, the Dominican Republic dream isn't real either, Danielle. It's really, really not real. And it just, I, the way that she approaches all this and her mindset on this is so gross. And it's all just about what makes things easier for her and what is going to make life more happy for her and not for her and Johan. Ugh. But anyways, so they essentially leave it as, you know, um, Danielle's like, well, I changed my mind. Am I not allowed to change my mind? And she starts going off on how her apartment is $4,000 a month in New York. She's, you know, and that's not including food and insurance and all this type of stuff. And Johan's like, yeah, but you, like, you said that we were going to do this and then you just completely changed your mind. Like, what the fuck? You know? And, you know, Danielle essentially ends it as like, well, we're staying here. I don't care what Johan wants. Great way to start a marriage. Great way. <laughs> like, and this is where I'm saying Danielle is just an asshole. She's a fucking monster. And I hope Johan plays the fuck out of her. I hope she gets scammed by him, frankly, because... That's a stupid, that's such a nasty thing to do to somebody. 
And yeah, like, what is she going to do to provide for herself? Whatever. I, ah, this will be interesting, though. It will be very interesting to see how this turns out. Um, I guess next week we will see the two other couples. Um, one is in Egypt. The woman is moving to Egypt. And then the other is a woman moving to Morocco. The woman that's moving to Morocco looks much older, giving kind of Angela vibes. Hopefully she's much nicer and not such a fucking hag to watch on TV like Angela. But beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> Sometimes a 90-day we get what we get and we can't throw a fit. But anyways, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Uh, it was the first one about 90-day fiancé. And I'm really, I like this spinoff. I've watched, you know, obviously the, I've watched some before the 90 days. I've watched Happily Ever After, that type of stuff. But um, yeah. I think Danielle and Johan have me hooked just because I can't believe that Danielle is doing this. And also, I want to see more of her friends call her dumb and just point out how bad of her ideas are. How bad her ideas are. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So some stuff coming up. Uh, Love is Blind After the Altar comes out next Friday. So I'm thinking I want to talk about that. Um, I also will talk about some more of the uh, couples for... 90 day the other way um and then yeah so we'll see what what's happening but yeah i would say right now i'm gonna take a pause from sister wives we'll be back don't worry it's not gone forever i just i want to dabble in some other stuff um i appreciate you guys continuing to listen and following me on instagram remember the podcast is on instagram at adventures in reality tv um i'm also on twitter at advent in reality and email the podcast if you have comments, shows that you're watching, things you're liking. Um, email the podcast at adventuresinrealitytv at gmail.com. So otherwise, I think that's all I got for today. I hope everybody has a lovely week ahead of them. Be good to one another. Don't be an asshole. Bye. <laughs> This has been a production of See Money Entertainment. Follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Reality TV or on Twitter at Advent in Reality.